scripture this morning is John 16, 7 through 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away, the helper, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. You cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the word of God. Well, we are talking here about the Trinity and now really focusing in on the Holy Spirit. I get a number of questions about the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, and I wanted to sort of answer them. And uh, um, we Presbyterians don't quite know what to do with the Holy Spirit, do we? Uh, we, like our, we like our order and our structure. We like Robert's rules. We're not sure about the Holy Spirit. Uh, so uh, I'm just wanting to, to answer some questions and, and have some discussion. Last week, we talked about the Trinity and uh, talked about it as a paradox or a mystery that there is one God, but God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, if, you, if you have your notes, we use this little picture that uh, came from a church in England, and it, it kind of has all three faces as one face. And I said, that's, that's the Trinity. It's a paradox. It's not meant for you to figure it out. Uh, it's a way of trying to describe God. I said to think of God as uh, the Father, uh, as the eternal purpose. Or do you remember what I called God, the Father? God up there. Okay, God up there. Think of Jesus as the incarnational presence or God right there. Okay, so God up there overseeing everything, but there's a sense in which God is right there. Sometimes God is right in front of us and we can see God in some ways. And to think of the Holy Spirit as the inspiring power or God in here. Okay, and that there, there's these three different ways we sort of relate to God. And in my challenge to you, I gave you a homework if you were here last week. The, the homework was to try to pray in a little more Trinitarian way. Instead of just praying generically to God, try to pray to the Trinity. And uh, um, uh, some of you, I saw like these weird faces as I'm trying to describe that and some arms crossing and some but uh, I think it's it's good and helpful to uh, to maybe sometimes change your posture change your language in your prayer uh, in fact that's why you bow your head and close your eyes because somebody decided that was a good posture for prayer and maybe sometimes it's not the only posture for prayer in fact do you know what the posture for prayer most used in the bible is it's not bowing your head. You almost never bow your head. I don't, I don't know where that comes from, actually. Okay, you lay down. 
Okay, you lay down in front of God to pray. Okay, or you tear your clothes. Those are the so uh, there's lots of different postures and ways that when people were in anguish, they would they would tear their shirt, they would tear their cloak. Okay, they'd put on sackcloth. So there's lots of different ways I think to pray and to pray creatively that are important, and to do that with a Trinity is valuable. So now, as we now take a deeper look at the Holy Spirit, I decided to do something very not Jordan, which is to give more of a list. Okay, I, I tried to think, how am I going to creatively do this? And I just decided, well, there's basically 10 things I want to tell you about the Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to give you 10 things about the Holy Spirit. And I uh, decided to do this sheet just so that you could kind of keep up with all 10. And then you have some scriptures that you can look up on your own. So in a very linear, not Jordan Rimmer sort of style. Here's 10 things I want you to know about the Holy Spirit. First, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Not a thing, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a person. We use that term because the Holy Spirit can do things, can make decisions, can lead things, can act. Okay, he has a sense of personhood. Jesus in John 16 actually refers to the Holy Spirit using the pronoun he, not it, he. Now, just a quick note, because in, in our society, this is a sensitive thing, and, and I want to be careful here. Um, I don't think God has gender. Okay, that's like a big topic for us. Historically, that really wasn't as much of a topic. Um, we talk about gender a lot. And talk about gender equality. And I think some of this God language does come from a time where society was male dominated. That's just kind of how it was. Um, and so I understand um, there's a feminist theology really doesn't like a lot of the male language for God, God the Father. I'm sensitive to it as a pastor too because I know people who were really abused by their fathers and didn't have good relationship with their fathers. And so for some people, this father language is even difficult. But I would say, in a lot of ways, God even acts like a mother. Okay, God is referred to as kind of a mother hen in the prophets, uh, taking us under his wing. Um, I guess I tend to stick with the tradition of the male language and some of the male pronouns, just because I don't have a better alternative, right? And I remember in seminary, uh, one teacher was, was sort of giving this lecture about God, and he said, God... Uh, did this because God was there and God's feelings were God's this. And I just thought it would be much easier if you just used a pronoun every once in a while, right? And so I, I, use, I use he, but don't read too much into that, please. I understand the sensitivity. I don't have a better alternative. But, but I think it's really important to, to note with the Holy Spirit, even if you don't like he, the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a thing. Okay? The Holy Spirit... Is, a, is the tradition has said, is a person. The Holy Spirit does things, acts, thinks, has a will. In Acts 12, the Spirit apportions spiritual gifts, we'll talk about those later, as He wills. Okay? The Holy Spirit can make that decision. Okay? Holy Spirit, independent of Jesus, of God the Father, can do that. Okay? The, the Spirit intercedes for us. That we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit. It means that the, the Holy Spirit has emotions. Okay, has responses. So, so the, the word that the church has typically used for this, we sing it in our hymns, God in three persons. Okay, it doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is human, but that, that it, the Holy Spirit is, 
uh, not an it. Okay, number two, the Holy Spirit is fully God. Now, I want to note that in these notes, it says the Holy Spirit. I did not mean the Holy Spirit. Okay, I don't know that's Christmas, but Spellcheck didn't help me with Holy Spirit, I guess. Okay, Holy Spirit, uh, not Holly, but it does provide me a quick opportunity to say sometimes the church has used the term Holy Ghost. Same difference. Okay, we don't anymore in our in our language we don't typically say spirit and ghost kind of interchangeably, uh, but but in English typically we used to. If you remember in Scrooge, you have the ghost of Christmas past. Okay, and what does he call it? Spirit. He calls it spirit because the spirit and a ghost are basically the same thing. We don't make that distinction anymore. So it is certainly not the Holy Ghost, but whether you say Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, same difference. Okay. But the Holy Spirit is fully God. Okay, Paul uses the language of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He puts them all together. When Jesus says to baptize in the Great Commission, what does he say? Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, so for Jesus, for Paul, they're clearly a set. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Listen to this verse in Acts chapter 5. The Peter said, uh, Ananias, uh, who had lied he had lied about his tithe he lied about his offering okay ananias why has satan filled your heart to lie to the holy spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold did it not remain your own after it was sold was it not at your disposal okay so he he sold the land but he lied about how much he sold it for so that he looked better in front of the congregation okay but how does peter end this why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. Okay, so Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And then he says, but you didn't lie to man, you lied to God. So clearly for Peter, the Holy Spirit is God. So, number three. The Holy Spirit is called helper, counselor, advocate, and comforter. Helper, counselor, advocate, and comforter. Um, this is actually the same verse. Okay, John 16, 7, we read it in the translation we had. It said helper, but other translations use these other words. Counselor, advocate, comforter. Um, I think that range of language, that range of translation is a really good way of thinking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, this uh, particular passage is given during what's called the Upper Room Discourse. In other words, in the Gospel of John, Jesus gives a bunch of instructions okay, around the communion table knowing that he's going to be betrayed that night and he's going to die the next day. Okay? So he's trying to get the disciples a number of things and he even says in our verse, there's so much I wish I could also tell you, but for right now, this is what we got. Right? He can only do so much, but one of the things he does a, a, a lot of instruction on for them is the Holy Spirit because they're going to need the Holy Spirit through his death, and eventually he's going to leave, and the Holy Spirit is going to come. And so he says, it's good that I'm leaving because this one is coming. Well, who is it? The helper. I think that's a great way of thinking of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a helper. The Holy Spirit is with you to help you. Okay, I love this language of counselor, sort of uh, guiding you, leading you, giving you wisdom, giving you instructions. 
advocate. I think that's a good, that's a good word for the Holy Spirit too. That part of what the Holy Spirit does is advocate to God on your behalf. Okay, that the Holy Spirit prays for you, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, as Romans 8 says, but also intercedes for, to you on God's behalf. Okay, so God is speaking to you through the Holy Spirit, and you can in some way speak to God through the Holy Spirit. And comforter, the ability to find comfort in God's close presence. And for those disciples that are hearing these words, that's going to be very important. So, four translations of the word, but I think a nice range of understanding who the Holy Spirit is. Number four, the Holy Spirit is involved, according to John, in conviction. Conviction concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, we use that word conviction, and it's typically a negative word. Okay, You are convicted of a crime. You go to jail, you are called a convict. So, so maybe instead of conviction, because that has such a negative tone for us, Maybe you insert the word in your mind, uh, 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 conscience. You know what I mean? Conscience. That God is at work in this world, that he is at work in your life, showing you where you're messing up, showing you where you need Jesus. He's at work in this world, convicting, showing the world how much they need to come before God. And so this is one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit. Is to drive everybody to Jesus. Okay, push, push, convict, bump, however you want to say that. The Holy Spirit is involved in convicting, in working, driving the world towards Christ. Connected to that is number five, that the Holy Spirit is involved. The Holy Spirit gives divine revelation. Divine revelation. So when God wants to speak, the Holy Spirit is involved. Okay, in the, in the Old Testament, it was the prophets. They used to say the Spirit of the Lord was upon so-and-so, and they gave a message from the Lord. Okay? Sometimes it's through individuals. So 2 Peter 1.21 says, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they, carried along, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So in Peter's understanding, when, when God speaks through people, it's always the Holy Spirit speaking through them. Okay, I often think of this, by the way, in my preaching, that I'm hoping it's not just me speaking. And, and God has given me some wonderful insights that it's not me preaching. Sometimes somebody will come up to me after church and they'll say, Jordan, when you said this, I was so moved and they, you were speaking right to me. And I say, thank you, you know, God bless. And I'm thinking in my head, I didn't say that. Like, I didn't say that at all. I would never say that. Why do you think I said that? But for some reason, that person heard something in what I said that was beyond me. And I have learned that sometimes that's exactly what people needed, and it has nothing to do with me. Okay? That sometimes the Holy Spirit is involved in speaking, divine revelation. Okay? It may, maybe this has happened to you where you felt like you needed to say something to somebody. You felt a little, little prompting. Oh, I, maybe I should pray for that. Maybe I should... And, and we're pretty good at pushing those things down. But I think sometimes God does that. That's the spirit in us. Most commonly, that's done. In... It, goes, it goes from him. We don't have a ghost, do we? The Holy Ghost. That's, that terminology is used sometimes. Yeah, a spirit and a ghost are, the, are traditionally the same thing. We don't think of them the same way now. But it used to be used the same way. Now, the Holy Spirit is in, also, so 
if it happens to me sometimes when I'm preaching, then the tradition is hopeful that it actually happens also in the writing of Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction. That God breathing out Scripture, that when Luke goes to write Luke and Acts, we're praying that the Holy Spirit, we believe the Holy Spirit is guiding them. Even as Paul is writing a letter to the Romans, the Holy Spirit is prompting and leading. That's divine revelation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Number six, the Holy Spirit is associated with power. So not just conviction, not just divine revelation, but with power. Okay, that the, the Holy Spirit gives us strength, emboldens us to action. Here's how Acts puts it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The Spirit that inspired the Scripture is also the Spirit that inspires us. Okay, that there's a power that comes. Okay, that there is this battery pack within you. You understand? There's this fire in you, this power, this energy, the Holy Spirit that is involved in the witness of the church. Number seven, the Holy Spirit fills believers. Okay, the Holy Spirit, the way the Holy Spirit works is that the Holy Spirit fills us. Here's how Paul puts it. He's talking about alcohol. Okay, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, that we have the ability, and, and I think, this is really important, I think when you read this passage, it means that sometimes we're not filled with the Spirit. Okay, that in some ways we have to work to fill ourselves with the Spirit. Or sometimes we can be filled with other stuff. Okay, alcohol, I know plenty of people that are filled with bitterness instead of the Holy Spirit. Okay, filled with hatred instead of the Holy Spirit. Okay, but we are supposed to be filled, okay? And that this filling has huge implications for not just individual believers, but for the community. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, critical passage for understanding what a church is. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's one spirit, and this one spirit brings us all into one community. So not only does the Holy Spirit fill me and fill you, okay, and sometimes maybe we, we quench that, we keep that down, but the Holy Spirit's working in our lives, but the Holy Spirit is also in our lives. And that's why even though some of you are different than I am, that's a nice way to say it, okay, and we're all different from each other, God can bring us and weave us into a unity. Why? Because it's the same spirit. Same spirit that's in me is in you, and that spirit goes beyond our differences, or at least I think it should. So, number eight, the Holy Spirit saves and sanctifies. Saves and sanctifies. Okay? Uh, Saves. The Holy Spirit is involved in salvation. We don't think about this because we talk about how Jesus saves us, which is true. But listen to Titus chapter 3. But when the goodness... And loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. In other words, how are you saved? Jesus saves you, but, but you're saved because the Holy Spirit does something in you. Okay, the way the church is typically talked about is the Holy Spirit unites you to Christ. Okay, that Christ's death 
and resurrection because you, comes yours because the Holy Spirit sticks you together like the Holy Spirit is glue, okay? And whatever is new about you that connects you with Christ, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit washes us clean. The Holy Spirit unites us with Christ so that his life and death become our life and death. And then afterwards, this Holy Spirit that was within us does the work of sanctification. I don't hear that word very much anymore. Okay? But that word, sanctification, simply means making holy. Making holy. Sanctifying. Okay? That God loves you just as you are, but he doesn't leave you there. Okay? There is a transformation, a change that happens in your life as the Holy Spirit works in you and through you. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit not only is part of saving you by uniting you to Christ, but the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you by changing you. Okay? In other words, if you have been a Christian for a long time and God is not working in you, okay, if you're not different than you were five years ago, okay, because God's then there's probably a problem because God should be at work in your life, changing you, shaping you. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. You are being transformed, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, that we are being transformed in the same image. In other words, we're becoming more Christ-like. That's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. Number nine, the Holy Spirit gives gifts. Now, I'm not going to talk about this too much because I'm going to talk about this next week at length. Um, but in short, okay, what the church has said, what these two scriptures here, Romans and 1 Corinthians from Paul tell us, is that the Holy Spirit gives us gifts, gifts of the Spirit, special sort of abilities or tendencies that we have to use for the building of the kingdom of God. That you're given these, that they're sort of unlocked by the Holy Spirit, I think, in your salvation, that you can develop them over time. But they are what's called spiritual gifts. This is where people get confused. People think, because I'm good at something, that that's a spiritual gift. Well, no, not necessarily. Is it used in the church and for the building up of the body? So, uh, two common examples. Uh, I've talked to people who are, are very wise in business. And what they say is, I have the gift of wisdom. Okay. Well, you may have a gift of wisdom, but it's not the spiritual gift of wisdom unless it's a wisdom about spiritual things. Okay, uh, I think about this in terms of teachers, too. I've talked to a lot of teachers who say, I'm a second grade teacher, so I have the gift of teaching. Well, you may be good at that, and God may have gifted you for that, but the spiritual gift of teaching is about teaching spiritual things. Okay, It's about teaching Bible. It's about teaching uh, the disciplines of the faith. So, so I think God gifts us in lots of ways, but spiritual gifts are those gifts that we use for the building of the kingdom in and through the church. Okay, And so next week we're going to talk about those, uh, and I'm going to talk about some of the gifts that we never like to talk about as Presbyterians, like prophecy and tongues. We're going to cover that next week. Uh, but suffice it to say, I think a big part of the role of the Spirit in our life is giving us gifts. And if you want to maybe know what some of your gifts are, there are some gift tests spiritual gifts, sort of inventories on the back tables. I printed out a few copies if anybody wants. You can simply Google spiritual gifts inventory. Um, anytime you're taking a test for something spiritual, uh, you realize it's not real scientific, right? But if you've never really thought about what your spiritual gift is and you want some kind of insight, those can be helpful. Finally, the Holy Spirit produces fruit. Okay, the Holy Spirit, if I... If the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, 
there should be fruit that is produced. Okay, a, a Christian who's been a Christian a long time ought to represent, ought to show these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness. I mean, if I do a funeral for somebody who has been a Christian and been in church their whole lives, I would anticipate this list should represent them. Okay? Now, I know plenty of Christians for whom this list does not work. Plenty of people who say they're Christians, but the fruit of their lives is bitterness and anger and deceit. And I think there's a problem there. Because if the Holy Spirit is really at work in your life, this is what your life should look like. So, there you go. Okay? Ten things about the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you homework again this week. Okay? To go back over this list again. Okay? I gave you a lot of information. I gave you a lot of scriptures. We didn't even cover all the scriptures. But consider the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe think about taking a spiritual gifts test. Um, maybe take a look at the fruit of the Spirit and say, you know what, is my life representing these fruits or not? And next week, we're going to talk about life in the Spirit. So it's how do you stay plugged in? How do you stay connected? How do you make sure the Holy Spirit is at work in your life? Okay, and so rather than being linear, that's going to be a lot more sort of all over the place. But your homework is to go back over your list. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we think about your work in our lives, be with us, guide us, lead us. Show us those areas where we are stopping you in some way. Give us a sensitivity to your leading, to your comfort, to your help. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.